welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Well, a very warm welcome, everybody, to Breakfast with Nigel and Mark, and a very warm welcome as well to all of our listeners on Property Portfolio Podcast. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you today? Very good, thank you. Another busy week, another busy week. We've got the budget coming up and lots of detail about uh, how the nation's economy is advancing, so uh, interesting times over the coming weeks. It is. It'll be really interesting to hear what uh, what comes out of the budget, won't it, and how how it will affect us. And um, it's it's really quite interesting. We've we've just finalised uh, an update on our Equa IDA, haven't we? The uh, development analyzer to version fifty nine, which has been in uh, uh, development and testing for the last kind of three to four months. And um, of course, we've got a budget coming, so there may be some further updates. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's just re- really important to have that. <clears throat> that tool that's really reflecting the state of the economy at, at that point in time, isn't it? So. Yeah. And as many people are closing out their their last year ends, um, and uh, maybe also uh, many of our, our fellow listeners are, are also SAS trustees, they're probably thinking about their, their employee and employer pension contributions um, before the end of the financial year. It's a real time, so really as a reminder on our financial planning, whether that be a personal level, a company level, but also, I mean, with the deals we've got going through at the moment, Nigel, it's about how we structure those deals as well, isn't it? So, so important to, you know, re- really focus on the end in mind, Mark, isn't it? Um, you know, understand you know, where the development is today, how you want to transact it, but almost coming from the point of the outcome needs to be, or it needs to look like this and kind of work back in the structuring. And just create all that efficiency and, you know, st- stamp duty. You have to watch how many transactions you're doing and the transfer of value and all those sorts of things. You know, that can get into heady heights. You know, VAT payments, all these sort of aspects are, are, are hugely important to consider around the efficiency of any deal. So, you know, structuring, tax, stamp duty is absolutely key. Brilliant. And I think what, a phrase we use quite regularly, um, humility is one of the biggest strengths in business. We haven't got all that knowledge, have we? And we're very open about that. We've we've accrued an awful lot over the years by making great uh, great advances, and and maybe through through the lessons we've learned, you know, through through any errors in in the past, and uh, we build that in into. Well, you mentioned the IDA and our other uh, processes and and systems, but we need a great team around us as well, don't we? We do, we do, absolutely, and. You know, it's okay to come up with a bit of inspiration from time to time and a bit of thought-provoking ideas and what have you, but these ideas and and uh, concepts need to be validated, don't they? They need to be you know, validated by a professional team um, to see if they, they can go forward or they can't, or they need to go a slightly different route. It's hugely important, but uh, yeah, definitely kind of the inspiration starts from you and I, Mark, doesn't it? And then we, you know, we we speak to our professional team to to get that that true, val- auditable validation. Really, yeah. And through the flow of these webinars and our podcast, it's always a real pleasure, isn't it, to to invite. 
key members of our professional team on to, to introduce themselves, share maybe some of their moral compass bearing and some of their thoughts on you know, life in the past, where their companies are going and, and how they can maybe help uh, our listeners with some inspiration. So who's a key member of our team this morning joining us. Absolutely. And it's, you know, with, with the huge welcome, welcome and thanks, uh, you know, to introduce Gavin, Gavin Birchall from Scrut and Bland. And uh, welcome, Gavin. Thanks so much, Mark and Nigel. Thank you. It's great to be here. No problem. No problem. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've known each other for, for some years now <laughs> in terms of the various projects. And, uh, you know, Gavin's been, you know, instrumental in helping us you know, to, to get that efficiency into all the deals that we've uh, transacted and, you know, a very, very valued member of our professional team. So, so I mean, you know, in terms of thank you and welcome for coming along, but um, could you just introduce yourself maybe to the, to the listeners and maybe give an insight into your, into your background, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I'm Gavin Birchall and um, I'm a partner at Scotland Land. Um, well, Scott and Bland's a tax and accountancy business, but I'm a qualified lawyer by background. So um, when I qualified as a lawyer, um, I'd always been interested in, t- in the tax system, a bit of a tax geek, really. And uh, I wanted to focus and uh, specialise in tax. So I joined an accountancy practice and um, when I qualified... And then more latterly, I then joined a law firm and then moved back to the accountancy, an accountancy firm. So I've, I've been across both uh, legal practices and accountancy practices, which is um, has proved to be quite useful, you know, in my career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, kind of coming at things from different directions from a legal Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, uh, because I've worked within a law firm, I kind of know how lawyers the way lawyers come at things and why mm. they put things in a certain way so you know when we've got transactions on it's been helpful because mm. i can provide i know what input they want from me because yeah. i've been at that other side of the fence and I, so mm. that's proved to be very useful absolutely absolutely and I, I i remember we um we use a particular law firm in um in colchester actually and um we we got to the point of you know, stamp duty and what have you. And, you know, this kind of inspiration that we were presenting to the lawyer of how we want to move things around, you know, she she kind of turned around and said, Nigel, that's that's a lot of transactions you're doing there. Just be mindful of, mm. you know, the stamp duty impact. And of yeah. course, I was, I was away back, back into the office doing some massive spreadsheets, working yeah. it out, and it was shocking. Yeah. It was literally yeah. shocking. And, yeah. you know, that, that lawyer recommended yourself Gavin, which was just fantastic, and you know the uh, the impact of that initial mm. burden as first realised, you know, was reduced significantly. So that was that was great. But in terms of um, Scrut and Bland, um, yeah, maybe you could just talk about maybe a bit of the history of the company. Yeah, I mean, we're a, a practice that's over a hundred years old now. Oh. Um, we're, we've got offices in Colchester, Ipswich, and Cambridge um, and we are I guess the different inc- the different streams are sort of tax advisory tax compliance uh, accountancy um, corporate finance um, my main focus is, is tax advisory um, stamp duty land tax and VAT okay. and being 
key taxes, also capital gains tax as well. Um, yeah. I've got we've got a tax team of about twenty people, okay. and the, uh, the the people who do the sort of tax advisory on projects and transaction works. There's about five of us. Okay. We've all got sort of um, tax specialist tax mm-hmm. qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, but alongside the tax advisory stuff, we do, you know, the kind of accountancy side of things as well. And um, we're very much into encouraging people to embrace sort of cloud accounting um, and also sourcing sort of software products for them that would be suitable for their particular business as well. Okay. okay. Um, we've also got um, a subsidiary company which um does insurance broking mm. so a lot of um sort of property um insurances uh, yeah i've seen that actually some of some of the warranties um yeah. you know some kind of uh, indemn- indemnity policies and those sort of things you yeah you pick up as well i've seen those coming through so that's yeah uh, that's really and um, sort of dealing with property development yeah. businesses or property investment businesses there yeah. They're very knowledgeable about it as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really good. And in terms of the the geography, whereabouts do you where, where are your clients? Are they all over? Are they yeah, it is, overseas? It's interesting actually because that sort of led me into what's happened over the last year as well. So um, pre lockdown, I think we had quite a few clients. So a lot of clients obviously in East Anglia. Quite. A number of clients in London, um, but then that's really expanded since then, since lockdown. So, because of the online working, we've been able to kind of um, go beyond that. And actually, we've got various relationships with companies like Savills, Strutt and Parker, um, and they've been very useful in introducing was into clients in their sort of southeast offices, like places like. Surrey, Sussex, yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of uh, north of London, like Hertfordshire. Yeah. Um, so, so the, and actually, I think it's it's proven now that you know, I guess if people want specialist advice, it doesn't matter where you're you're located. Mm. You can be located anywhere in the country, and you can still deliver um, the advice people need. So, yeah. you know, I'm very feel very positive about that actually. Yeah. being able to work more beyond the region absolutely and you know indeed you're you know you're, you're one of our trusted partners in the echo academy as well which is which is fantastic and all of our all of our mentees have direct access to you through the portal as well so yeah, that's yeah, uh, right. and obviously they're scattered everywhere aren't they so that's yeah. <laughs> even abroad exactly and i think what i've noticed as well i think people are um I think they're increasingly of the view that, okay, they've got an accountant, but maybe their accountant doesn't want to do this particular advice or not able to. And so they seem more willing to actually source specialist advice from elsewhere Mm. and then have keep with that accountant, but but use that person for that specialist advice they need. Yeah. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, Scotland Island, just, I'm interested, always interested in kind of the highlights and the, the challenges that businesses have, you know, maybe maybe transitioning through. I mean, we've, we've come up, we've obviously come out of a, 
an unprecedented time, haven't we? You know, with obviously uh, coronavirus and, and those sort of things, and you know, just and obviously we we have the credit crunch and all those sort of things. But just you know, a hundred years of, of business is formidable, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible, and there's not you know, there's not many companies out there that have you know managed to survive that tenure of, of business. No. And uh, so, just be interesting to hear a bit about highlights and and challenges, really. Yeah, so I, I think it's constantly adapting to the the circumstances as well as having maybe an overarching plan you've got to move with what is going on um mm. i think in terms of business highlights i think obviously with the when the stamp duty holiday was um introduced that was a really big boom for the property sector um and also for people like myself um and you know, it threw up some really interesting sort of questions that means that actually the advice that we were giving proved to be even more valuable than it was before. Um, so that's presented a, mm. um, a good opportunity for us. Um, and I've got involved with some really big projects where I've been advising on stamp duty land tax. Um, you know, some really, you know, interesting sort of developments, mixed-use developments, um, also, but also stately home purchases as well, and purchases of um, big country estates. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we've also, um, you know, we, we launched a software advisory service um, about a year ago, and yeah. so that's proven to be a really good um I think in what's happened is we've had an increasingly receptive audience and mm. um, following the launch of that service because more businesses want to know what kind of apps or you know what kind of apps will help them with their kind of financial management yeah yeah project, so, yeah. so yeah, do, you, do you find that your customers are, are they seeing the volatility in the economy are they seeing that as an opportunity or are they looking at the as more as yeah. a defensive measure yeah i th- i think many of them are looking at it as an opportunity um and you know you've got some manufacturing businesses and they've been able to successfully turn their hands to to things that need to be manufactured now you know where the demand is um, and also some of them have, have built up cash reserves and they if, they if they if they've been affected by it, they've they've been using this time to to invest in you know the property side of things or whatever the, the nature of the business is mm-hmm. to mean that they're well placed when things kick off i think generally the businesses we've spoken to have been quite positive about, you know, what, what the outlook could mm. be. Um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think I think one of the challenges obviously will be in terms of um, businesses that are being sort of high street based and, and what's going to happen with our sort of towns and cities and um, businesses that are around those places. Yeah. Uh, so no doubt there are lots of challenges which many of our clients face, but there are also a lot of positivity there as well. Indeed, indeed, absolutely. Is it um, 
is it, I mean, I'd like to think that from a stamp duty point of view, we've always been quite efficient and we've mm. definitely stayed between the guidelines, obviously, but, um, you know, only paid what what is due. And I, the number of people I, I come across, um, you know, both our mentees or just, just general people talking to them that, you know, have this this position where they've, they've kind of overpaid stamp duty, just gone on the face value and not really got into the detail. And is it is it true? I mean, I, I obviously I've been in this situation. Is it true that um, if you pay stamp duty, you can? It's very difficult to get it back, or you just can't get it back. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point, there, Nigel, because I think people um, a lot of people under underappreciate the complexity of stamp duty now because we've had lots of government government tinkering to it to either help to regenerate the property market mm-hmm. or to um, punish second homeowners, for instance, for example, because they they need people to, you know, make sure that people can buy to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a lot of tinkering, and then that's obviously resulted in quite a lot of misunderstandings from either lawyers or clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some lawyers have underappreciated the complexity and then they might have you know their focus is on the property mm. on side and the stamp duty is just a, a real kind of inconvenience for them and a real hassle and they don't want to deal with it they want to focus on the property and get you know get the transaction done for you mm. which which is obviously meant because there's been a lack of focus there on the stamp duty side things can you know, you, you're not maybe maximising the reliefs that you could have had, or mm. you might be treating in the way that it should be to, you mm. know, ensure that you don't pay any more stamp duty than you have to. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, we've got a situation where a lot of people have overpaid, mm. and um, there are there is like a 12 month window following mm. the filing of the SDLT return to make amendments to it. Okay. And so if you fail to claim the relief, which was available to you, such as multiple dwellings relief, mm. you know, you can make that claim in that amended return. And recover it back, yeah. yeah. And recover it back that way. Um, there is a, a more, a longer window of, say, four years, where there's a specific overpayment relief claim that you can make if you have overpaid stamp duty. Yeah. But there are limitations to that. So mm. if a relief was available to you like multiple dimes relief mm-hmm. and you fail to claim it either in your return or in the amended return so you're outside of your 12 month period mm-hmm. then the general rule is that you can't get um a refund of that because you've missed the 12 month window I see. I see if however you've assessed something as residential where in fact it should have been um mixed use yeah. Um, then you, you you could potentially benefit from a four-year window. Just but where it's clearly it's, it's, yeah. it's all about, I think with that, it's all about how you approach HMRC because, mm. you know, we, we've had a few instances where people have paid the 3% residential mm. surcharge. Yeah. Um, you know, people just buying, you know, replacing their main residence, for instance, mm. Mm. where they've ended up paying the surcharge but then missing the deadline for the reclaim because they failed to do the reclaim within a set period of when they've actually sold their main residence. 
Yeah. Um, and the HMRC would just go back and say, sorry, you're out of your one year time window, whatever. But actually there are, we have been successful in going beyond that. Mm, yeah. um, you have to stick to technical detail mm. and, and pitch it in a certain way mm. in, in order to get that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that surcharge can be a huge amount of money content. It's, it's yeah. quite, <laughs> when you kind of get notification from your solicitor what it is, it's like mm. gulp. You know, and yeah. so it's you know it's it's money you can't afford to. No, no, the, the difference is so stark now, and um, mm-hmm. but it's been interesting as well with the way the stamp duty holidays works because it's always been about you treat it as mixed use commercial, but then we've had a number of instances where actually, in some instances, they were better off by saying it was residential, sure. and so there's all arguments about various definitions. Um, mm but yeah there's huge the, the sums of money even like on a you know smaller deals it can really make a make Absolutely. a difference yeah Absolutely. i think one of our one of our mentees uh gareth he's he's um, asked a question um they had significant advantages where they they didn't have to pay stamp duty or got significant relief because it was a probate purchase yeah um, and you've mentioned, uh, well, he's asked the question, how many other areas are there when you're developing in a property company or in a limited company structure uh, of um, uh, of looking at mitigating stamp duty wholly or partly? Uh, you've mentioned um, uh, uh, multiple dwellings relief and uh, you've helped us with, mm. with group relief. Um, mm. So there are lots of ways um are you are you finding the 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 changes that are coming in there are more and more avenues for you to uh support people um and, and claim back yeah i i think that, that there are and um you know i think the main ones that we see regularly are things like um you know multiple things relief is probably the biggest one but also around that classification as to whether something is residential or have you got a dwelling you know is there a dwelling it sounds silly (laughs) but you know it's not always clear i mean the Bewley case which was a case about two years ago highlighted some issues there that people might think something is a dwelling but if it's not habitable fit for purpose then it's not a dwelling and then that that thrusts you into the sort of uh, non-residential sdlt rate so a lot of our work is around that and interpreting you know what classification something should be in you know a common misconception is as well is that if something is like a garden it's residential mm. they think our surcharge rates apply three percent surcharge rates but they don't because there's no dwelling mm. if you just acquire a piece of uh, garden land there is no dwelling there so you should be paying the residential rate probably mm. but not the three percent surcharge rates yeah. And there's lots of work that we do around classification and where things sit. And then also, okay, if there's, there's often ambiguity because of the way the legislation's been written. Yeah. Okay, so so what what is your what filing position have you got? You know, what what would suit you best from a standards perspective? Yeah. Is there enough evidence there to to, to to say something is a certain way? And then sort of helping people um, maybe make disclosures to HMRC when they submit the return so that they've been up front with HMRC as to why you've chosen this particular route. And that way you're omitting yourself 
mitigating and solving against risks of penalties. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's also important in terms of the way that you manage that dialogue with HMRC right from the outset. Mm. I think mm. another issue that we come across is, you know, I think inquiries will get more common, HMRC inquiries. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, particularly with the whole classification and, and you know, the, the, the sheer difference in cash HMRC between when something's 3% surcharge and when it's mixed use, um, that they're, they're already more focused on property than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think people should consider, okay, when you submit your return, should you be taking out tax investigation fee insurance, for instance? Because if you get an inquiry, it can cost... I mean, ideally, if you get an inquiry, you should get professional support for that because there's been a lot of instances where clients have gone in, HMRC have asked fairly innocuous questions. Mm. The client has gone back, sort of, in a not very considered way, the the conversation has gone completely the wrong way that they wouldn't have wanted it to go down just Mm. by HMRC asking a fairly innocuous question. You know, because they can they sometimes don't always open a formal inquiry and that they kind of lull an individual down. They, oh, I feel quite comfortable in saying this to you, mm. but, you know, not to give more information to them than, than they're asking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, where tax investigation fee insurance can help is in terms of, you know, that insurance will cover you for any professional fees that you incur in, in responding to that. Indeed, in, in an appropriate way that could potentially save you a huge yeah. amount of time and uh, obviously cost as well. So yeah. that's right. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with it. And in terms of you know any case that you you particularly look at, um, do do you start with it's almost kind of a an investigation of what you've got to start with, isn't it, to understand yeah yeah you know, what you're dealing with and then exactly. It's- so I think my key is to really find out and understand more about the property. Mm-hmm. So if that's either in the form of surveys report, um, agency particulars, speaking to the client or the agent about what is happening with that property, mm. what state it's in. Mm. Um, and then also in terms of any kind of replies to inquiries, um, contractual documentation, if, if we're coming in at a late stage, mm. You know, the contractual documentation can be important as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I think that's the key. I think sometimes what the problem that can arise is um, things get sort of flushed out at a very late stage and there's a particular pressure to do the transaction Mm. and, and that can cause its own problems because in an ideal world, you want to put the brakes on a little bit Mm. and say actually we need to look at this properly yeah because you know your tax costs are your deal costs effectively and and the the, the sums involved can really tip something into worthwhile or just complete yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no that no absolutely and uh, you know i think you know stamp duty generally you look at the transaction values and you look, look at the costs associated with that trans you know legals etc cetera, etc cetera. you know stamp duty is always up there isn't it it's, it's one of the big you know notwithstanding obviously the you know the cost of purchase and what have you maybe that but yeah. 
the SDLT is a big number and, you know, we should we should do due diligence around it. And, and it's almost a case of if there's an inev- inevitability of the transaction going ahead, it's almost starting that that kind of inquiry process to to get an audit file created, get the, you know, the investigation done on the property, see if there's a, I mean, there may be something that people have missed, you know, in terms yeah. of the made, they made an assumption and taken a worst case scenario, but the reality is, and it can be substantiated that, you know, it can be designated slightly differently and, and therefore derive huge savings, which can only be a good thing, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's really important. We've got um, got lots of questions piling in here, uh, Gavin. I, I think you're going to be very busy when people are contacting you. Yeah. Um, and we've got uh, got questions here. I'd just like to link a couple of questions here. Um, and it's about structuring. Um, Marcus has asked a question about uh, structuring deals in a holding company where you've got maybe different SPVs, which is, is very yeah. similar to, to how, how we operate. Um, having different scenarios with each individual SPV. Uh, I mean, some might be by developed hold, some might be by developed sell, might have devco, prop codes. Um, and uh, and we got Ed's also asked a, a question on a similar basis about structuring about uh, a TOGC. So maybe you could kind of pick the bones out of those two two areas of the importance of structuring deals, whether they be SPVs. Yeah, and touch yeah, on the so, EOGC. Yeah, so I think um, on the structuring side, I think it, one of the most important things is is actually not necessarily tax, but looking at it from a ring fencing of liability perspective, and making sure that the tax actually doesn't hammer you for wanting to separate, because in many cases it does make sense to separate each project, so you're containing the risks associated with that project more. And yeah. I think, you know, and that's where a holding company structure is good because you create a bit more formality there. And so, so when you, when that one project comes to fruition and you sell everything, you can then recycle that money within the group more easily on other projects, which is where a holding company can, can help. Um, and equally, you know, you are able to transfer properties as well, sort of intra-group in certain instances. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's um, there's an important aspect to that, I guess, is, is that you've got to be clear on your activity. You know, if it's property development activity, your property is held as trading stock within that company. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get the group relief that you would otherwise have got if it was a property investment property. Um, So it's issues like that that, you know, you've got to watch out for. But certainly, um, you know, groups can be good if you take on the property investment side where you you want to, you might shift properties between members of the group and you've got various statutory reliefs and uh, corporation tax reliefs. So it can give you a bit more flexibility. Yeah. But on the property development side, I think it's it still can be really good to have a group because, as I said, you know, you can create that, um, you know, ring fencing of liability between projects. Mm. Um, I mean, you don't have to have a holding company above. Um, and some people cho- choose to go down the route of um, 
individually owning each each SPV. Um, hmm. The problem is that is it's not as ideal if you want to do future projects, maybe through a different company. Hmm. You've got less; it's all a bit fragmented. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a big. I think one of the lessons we've learned over, over the years is if you want a, prof, a, a member of your professional team to really advise you, you, you've got to give them access to the whole picture. And I think one of the, one of the problems that often ensues is if, if you give experts like yourself just a, a little slice of the pie, mm-hmm. you can't expect them to bring the whole context of your, your scenario to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore their skills. So, um, you know, we, we had uh, um, our, our personal accountant uh, on um, a few weeks ago um, mm-hmm. and made this 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 huge point. And mm-hmm. if you just give, if, if you were to just see an SPV in isolation, but not actually understand its holding company structure and, and the end intentions, mm-hmm. you're only able to give limited advice, I'm guessing. So you That's prefer right. to see the whole of picture. Yeah, and I think it's not just um, we don't just see limited companies. We see more sort of limited liability partnerships as well out there. Mm. Particularly people doing joint ventures uh, with other people, and um, you know they can be good because you know they're tax transparent. So any profits of that LLP are directly attributed mm. to the members of that LLP, which means that you don't need to worry about tax at that the LLP level the, at the joint venture level you can just focus upon your own tax positions but it can it can minimize um debates and arguments between your joint venture partner because it's because of that tax transparency you know it's automatically attributed to you those profits yeah um and I think it, it can provide some flexibility as well uh, and so when the pro- when the project comes to fruition well the profit is you know, you determine your profit, and that's your profit. You're entitled to that. You're not in the, the idea where you've got to declare a dividend, and mm. well, how much money should we leave back? You're not you're not having the same discussion. So LLPs have certainly got their place as well. And I think if if someone's got a property and they want the joint venture partner to come in to provide some like construction type skills or whatever, mm. LLPs can be a good vehicle to put the property in. Mm. And, and minimise some of the stamp duty costs, which might arise yeah. if they wanted to go into a limited company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, it's a really, really good point. Really good points there, actually. I mean, I know. I think we've we've touched on quite a few um, of the things that you know you, you're seeing on your desk in terms of issues that you're resolving and you know creating efficiency and all those sorts of things, but. Is it? Is there? Would you say there's there's any common mistakes people are making out there? Um, I think on a on a VAT perspective, um, I would say sometimes there, you know, a bank might say to them, "Right, we need security here," um, and they won't be happy necessarily with just a freehold, you know, security over the freehold, you know, particularly where you've got a building with flats or they're converting into flats. So they want a leasehold interest to be created, for example. And obviously you've got to be careful there. So 
who are you going to grant that lease to? Is that going to be to a group company? What, what length of lease is that? It's because you know we found people get into tax issues because the bank has kind of said to them, "Well, we need you need to create a separate interest so we can take security over it," and they've been rushed into doing it without getting the input of the tax advisor to say, "Actually, okay, well, that's the consequence of that doing that." You might want to do it in a slightly different way, and the bank can still be satisfied. Indeed, indeed, and the net result is everybody's happy and and, yeah. a, and a reduced liability to the to your client as well. Which yeah. is, and I think, sometimes as well with what we find that people miss in terms of VAT, the capital goods scheme. Okay. So you know they're acquiring a building from like an investor. Mm. Um, investor has paid VAT on the purchase price when they bought it. Mm. They might have bought it three years ago. Mm. They paid a whole load of VAT. Mm. And if you buy that as a, if it's a let building and you're buying it as a let building, if it's a transfer going concern, you're taking on the capital goods scheme history of that seller. So the sellers reclaim that. Um, so then you need to be, so if you're acquiring it in year three, you need to be careful that what you're doing in the next seven years isn't a VAT exempt supply because then you could be triggering a clawback of part of that VAT. Oh, really? So people assume that actually we've got a TOGC, perfect, we've so solved VAT, mm. but actually you need to think about potential sort of capital goods scheme yeah. history yeah. as Absolutely. well. So that's a good, good example where you need to investigate history, but also investigate future. And then kind That's of right. knit that all together into the solution. What's best? Yeah, because for the person at the time, particularly mm. residential conversions, because yeah. you know you can get a zero rated treatment, which is a taxable supply for VAT purposes, which is the best of all worlds. You want a zero rated treatment, and you normally get that if you um, do a first supply of, of that. So whether that's a long lease or a freehold, mm. we, we get certain instances where somebody has already, because they've been forced into something, they've already made their first grant and then they want to do something and make another supply respect to that property and then find themselves making an exempt supply and triggering clawback of VAT under the capital goods scheme. So wow. there's, yeah, there's, there's some stuff to watch out for there. You know, you don't want to, because they're inadvertent charges that you wouldn't have budgeted for no and it'll come out of the woodwork absolutely yeah really interesting really interesting and you know it's it's quite a heavy subject isn't it certainly for an eight o'clock on on a wednesday morning but it's it's you know inspiring that we you know we've got people we can we can speak to and just get that you know most efficient solution in place which is great so i mean i guess let's let's think about 2021 can't do anything that's happened in the past, can we? But no, you know, we can no. be aware of what's going to be happening yeah. going forward. And you know, thoughts and opportunities uh, in twenty twenty one. Maybe any risks as well. We need to be watching out for. You know, we don't know the results in the budget yet, do we? But we could you know, have a little chat around that. But what's your, what's your thoughts? No, I mean, I think um, it depends to a certain extent. Obviously, we've got to have our eyes on the budget, which is going to take place next week. Um, you know, and there's always stuff that is thrown out of the budget in terms of opportunities, but also challenges. Um, 
I think, you know, areas that could potentially ripe for change could be around that classification of mixed use um, on the stamp duty side, um, because I think the government will start to realise they're leakaging money there. Mm. And so they might um, follow the Scottish model and actually go down the route of, right, what's the value of your residential bits? Let's charge residential rates on that. What's the value of your non-residential bits of this transaction? Let's mm. charge on residential rates on that bit. So we might we might see that, whether that will come as early as the budget, I'm not sure. It seems a bit, I, th- I think, difficult to predict, but you get the impression that the government might look to sort of set out a roadmap, but, but have lots of things that are deferred. Mm. Um, I think I think part of the opportunity from, from my perspective comes is, is is a harshing it's a horrible thing to say but actually it can come because because you know people because of the challenge of our complexity of our tax system means that people have to sort of approach specialists for that advice I think um, but I think there's there's there are op- certainly opportunities there within the within the uh, SDLT regime to, to, to make savings um, and also with our VAT system as well I think it, it's you know it's it's potentially very favourable to property development and conversion I think the opportunity there is to, to make sure that people are fully informed on mm. on that indeed, indeed. Um, I think uh, another issue that people should be aware of is the new VAT reverse charge that's affecting the construction industry. Okay. Because you know, previously, um, if if you were at a construction project, your the plumber would do do some work. They might invoice the builder. The plumber would always normally have charged VAT. Mm-hmm. Right. But the responsibility is now shifted to the building contractor. So instead of the, the plumber charging back to the builder, the plumber won't charge any of that, and then the builder will have to account directly to HMRC for that VAT. Right. Um, so it's, it's a real shifting. Now, you might think, well, how does that affect property developers? Mm. And the answer to that is probably doesn't affect developers. Um but it's just good something to be aware of because mm. construction companies might misunderstand mm. where they sit within that those obligations. So if you're making onward construction supplies, then um, you're caught by the VAT reverse charge. Right. In the case of property developers, they're they might sell something off plan. Mm. And like you could say, well, are they making on construction supplies? But they're not. They're, they're basically supplying an end building to somebody. Mm-hmm. But construction companies might think, actually, should should we not be charging that? And it's up to you, developer, to account directly to HMRC for that. I think where it could where it could come in, Gavin, is where you've got people who maybe look at breaking down the packages and not employing a, a builder per se. They're almost taking on the obligations of the builder by procuring individual packages and materials yeah. and, and unwittingly step over those yes. those boundaries. And um, because I think 
it, it sort of ties in very closely with the construction industry scheme. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got works that are caught by the construction industry scheme, then generally speaking, you're caught by this regime if you are viewed as making onward supply construction supplies, which in your which in the case you cited, Mark, you could well be doing because if you're procuring work on behalf of somebody else, mm-hmm. then then you could well sit within that scheme. Yeah. And um, yeah. you know, and I think the risks there are that if you've just accepted a standard VATED invoice from the person who's supplying you, mm-hmm. you then found yourself paying VAT to the wrong person, mm-hmm. and you've got you you're still on a you've got a primary liability to HMRC for that VAT now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, before it was just a contractual relationship between your supplier. Now it's oh, you know, I'm on the mm-hmm. directly to HMRC. Potentially. When when did that come in, or when, when is that coming in? That? It's coming in from the first of March. First of March, yeah. Okay, so that's it's that's been, really, isn't it? It's been yeah. talked about for a while. It's yep. been constantly delayed. Yeah. Because of that, people have just got a bit tired of it all and thinking mm. it's never going to come in, and now suddenly it's like, you right. know, it's here first of March. Mm, absolutely, um, gone to the back of memory, hasn't it? Yeah, it? and I think that's that's an important thing there that Mark's raised. Really, it's could be really clear on what contractual obligations you're yeah you're being imposed upon you and what arrangements are you getting involved with Absolutely. and what the what the back consequence could be of that arrangement or CIS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. be really clear um, yeah. yeah we work really tirelessly with it with our mentees they, they've got to understand their strategy clarity of strategy is everything you've got to decide what game you're in and I think where entrepreneurs sometimes come a bit bit unhinged is where they're just trying to make a few quid out of every single angle and they break things apart and unwittingly they, they're redesigning their, their, their strategy and structure without even knowing it. Um, and the, the impact could be lost opportunity or could be induced risk into their, into their model. Uh, Andrew's asked a, a question on uh, do you cover... R&D credits, land remediation, and I might add capital allowances on there. And I know they're things that we discuss on a regular basis with the structuring of, of our deals. They're all so important. You've got, you've got to be eyes wide open on all the opportunity to understand how you best structure on the way in to give the best assurance. You know, start with the end in mind, I guess, is the classic. Yeah, no, and, and we do we do all that work. I think what I'd say is that we, we do a lot of R&D tax relief claims for businesses, um, but it's also to have your eyes open on it and to, we like to really critically review whether it does qualify because what we've found is that certain of our clients have been approached by specialist R&D tax firms um, who've actually taken a very aggressive stance, but because they haven't got... Um, subsequent relationship with that client mm. if, if a problem does arise is to you know they've they might not be there still that for that r&d tax firm mm. um and, and so the problem arises whereas for some of our clients if we had a long-standing relationship with them we, we've got to be very um uh you know responsible in terms of you know, does that genuinely, is that genuinely R&D type expenditure? Yeah. 
yeah absolutely no that's that's great really really good and you know gavin thanks for sharing your uh, your thoughts this morning and um, your, your experiences, and it's you know it's hugely valued, certainly uh, you know within as part of our professional team. But yeah, if any of the listeners would like to get in touch, um, I've, you've given us our, the um, your email address, which is uh, gavin.virtual at scruttonbland.co.uk, and I think we've just dropped it into the uh, the chat box as well for everybody. So that's uh, that's it. Okay, we'll, we'll pop the details in the Equa Academy Facebook page uh, or Facebook group. So, if you're not in Equa Academy Facebook group, just join there, and we'll drop the details in, and we'll also give you a link to to this podcast as 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 well. So, um, yeah, Gareth said a really great session. Who would have thought I'd ever be interested in tax and VAT? But I think <laughs> I think that's the point, isn't it? Quite often people think they're in property, but property is just a vehicle to get you to where you need to go. And if you understand the wider context and ramifications, the way you've alluded to, Gavin, yeah, it's incredibly powerful what can be achieved and how you can de-risk the, the process. So yeah. absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. No, thanks for inviting me. No, no problem at all. Okay, Mark. Well, that's uh, that's us. I think we're we're pretty much uh, on time as normal. Probably a couple of minutes over, but um, no, great session. You know, thank you, Gavin. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, it's all about the detail. That's what we enjoy talking about. Um, next uh, next week, of course, we're launching our new program on commercial to residential conversions and land development. So you are not going to want to miss next week. So commercial to residential conversions, land uh, and property development. If that's your bag, then stick close to us for next week's uh, breakfast with Nigel and Mark. And of course, uh, subscribe to our uh, property portfolio podcast. So have a great week, everybody. Nigel, thanks so much. Thanks once again, thanks, Gavin. Thanks, Gavin. We look forward to the budget next week. Hey, Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.